It is the Anfield Wrap. We are again live. It's live a lot these days. <laughs> I'm not against it. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I like live. It's it's where I live, to be honest with you. We do everything as live. We are li- alive. You know, what's your, what's your, what's your favourite form? We are in Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. What's your favourite form of live? Going. I liked. It was brilliant. One yeah. of the best ones. Yeah, going live. That was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is funny, isn't it? Like we, you, the whole like live thing. Like live. It's, not, it's not as if we're doing a lot of um, takes. No. In, in the pre-records. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm, 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 they can tell. They <laughs> <I'd say>. uh, <laughs> can tell. Uh, this is not totally football. Five hundred edits. I can't believe what they said that publicly. Uh, he does five hundred edits a show. That fellow he said. I don't I think, think we've done five hundred in the history of the Anfield map. No. We've got Rob Gutman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> only, the only time the only time we do we, we do anywhere near five hundred edits is when uh, my partner Brocklehurst and Ben Johnson go to Glastonbury. That's the only time edits get anywhere near the well, number. Cor- correction, well, correction. When, Kev, when Kev's on AFQ. When Kev's on AFQ, there you are. That's where you might get it's your only one a week. Though. Yeah, that's fine. Um, uh, we've got Paul Cope and Mike Bankhold, two men who do not need editing and don't even try. Uh, they'll be round to yours. They'll drop, drop your hat, break your fingers <laughs> off the back of any editing. Uh, they're live as well. Uh, everyone is live. This is our season review show, although coming up, we've got Tony Barrett and Ian Byrne for you uh, to talk about, obviously, what went on in Paris. Uh, that is continuing. It is rumbling. We'll do a bit of an update in a little while on that, but we're going to start off just talking about the season because that's what we're meant to do with these shows immediately after the season is is review the season and everyone gets their own opportunity everyone gets their own time to do so uh to work this stuff out and you know i will do uh the first one here so we've got john and we've got mike uh and we've got paul and they're working it all through we'll start off with mike's season review mike i'm sure you've heard them before on the anfield rap you can take it whatever you want you can talk about whatever you want the only thing that's a little bit different is you can see the comments which normally people can't see but what is your outlook on go on live heckling live heckling yeah get off his back get off his back uh it is a wonderful bookcase uh mike bankhall what is your review of the season yeah, so I think to review the season, I have to go right back to the very start of it, right, and think about the mood going into the season. And I remember feeling really optimistic, but there had been a lot of noise around Liverpool, um, Liverpool fans feeling less optimistic than I was. I remember we didn't make the transfers that some expected us to make off the back of the season we had uh, with, with the injuries and everything else. And a lot of Liverpool fans, I felt, were beaten before balls kicked and didn't have the optimism that I wanted them to have going into the season. Um you look back on the, the, the predictions that BBC made and a lot of them didn't put Liverpool in the top two. A lot of our fans probably, I mean, not a lot of them, but a few of our fans, might, maybe some on the, on the internet, might not have put us in the top two either. So it's easy to do the hindsight thing of, ha, 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 look at the BBC. But actually, I feel like the mood around the start of the season was a bit weird. I felt like going into the season, we were, we were going to be given a chance to dream. I feel like when you look at Liverpool's season since Jurgen Klopp's come in, even the season he comes in right at the very start, We've always had a chance to dream, and that season, the dream was the Europa League, which is a smaller dream than the dreams we have now, but it was the Europa League. Um, The season after that, the dream is the top four and to return to Champions League, and after that, it's the Champions League itself. So we always go on a journey. I think the only time we haven't been on a journey was that weird season we had where literally all of us have forgotten past what happened that season. You know, this guy do that thing where they try and, like, remind you of a game that happened last season. They were doing that this season. I was like, forgotten half of the games that happened in the 2021 season. So I was feeling optimistic. And ultimately, I feel like we've been on probably the best adventure of our lives this season. Like, no club has come close to a quadruple than we did. Um, and that's something that's worth remembering. And in some ways, look, seasons are defined by how they end. Listen, there's, there's, there are champions, there are teams that get relegated, there are teams that finish in top four and teams that don't. But our season, I don't think, can be defined by those last two games where ultimately we fall short of the two major runners. Our season has to be defined by the journey we went on. And I think that journey is really, really important because the season before that, we were all at home, we didn't get to go to the ground, we didn't get to go to games, we didn't have that community, we didn't even get to go to pubs at times to watch games with our friends, with our family. Um, that's, you know, football for me is a community event. It is something you do with your friends, you do with your family, um, your loved ones, the people you care about. And we robbed of that last season. We didn't have that. And I feel like this season, one of the legacies of this season will be we came together and there was this, this and I spoke a lot about Liverpool fans who weren't optimistic. We all bought into this journey. We all were on this journey together with the club. Um, and we, I feel like one of the legacies of Klopp's time at this club will be the fact that the, the fans have really come together. We've become one. Um, and I feel like as the season's gone on, we've been on an amazing journey. The first half of the season, I feel like, and Neil's spoken about it a lot, we were involved in too many classics. And that was ultimately our, our, our 
it's kind of our downfall in the first half of the season. So I'm thinking of the Brentford game. I'm thinking of the, the Man City game where we were 2-1 up and probably should see it over the line, but then they score late. And I think there's a, there's a few other games where we just didn't really look like we had the consistency maybe to be champions. We've kept on falling up short. I think there's the West Ham games where we lose 3-2 um, at the Olympic Stadium. So I think the first half of the season defined by some really, really eye-catching performances. You look at Man United, you look at the Everton game at Goodison Park. But also some games that maybe you felt they might not quite have it in them to become champions. I remember in December, a lot of us threw the towel in. After the Leicester game, that was it. You know, we thought, listen, the league's gone here. We'd lost to Leicester. And it was Leicester side that looking back and even at the time we, we never should have lost that game you know we had the chances to kill the game off Leicester had huge injuries going into the game they'd just been beaten by by City 6-2 at the Etihad we all fancy our chances of winning that game and we, and we didn't win that game so to look at the run we went on in the second half of the season in the concept of competing in the League Cup in, in competing in the FA Cup competing in Champions League it's one of the all-time great runs in English football we drop points in games that, okay, listen, we can look at our big game record and, and, and scrutinise that record. We drop points in games to Tottenham and, and Man City and Chelsea. But we, we it was an incredible run. We were in three cup competitions at the time we got on the run. Our, our defence tightens up from January onwards and we look like a really kind of formidable defensive unit. We're not conceding goals. We're not involved in any classics anymore. There are very few classics from January onwards. It is very much Liverpool yeah. winning games. Um, so it's just been a remarkable run. And, I, and I, I look back on it with pride and look, it didn't end the way we wanted it to. And I, I'm at peace with the league. I feel partly because to get it from where it was, where it was the last 15 minutes of the season, right? After it being a 14-point gap, that is remarkable. That is genuinely remarkable. We were, we were fingertips away from winning the league title. It's, it's a genuinely remarkable achievement. The Champions League one is the one that stings a bit, just because going into that season, I was going into the final, I was I was so confident. And obviously the stuff around the final and everything else, but... I just felt that we were, the be- we, were, we were better than Madrid going to this final. You know, 17-18, we weren't the better side going to that final. We'd been on an amazing journey. We'd beaten City, we'd beaten Roma, we'd beaten Porto. But we weren't the better side going to that final. We were the better side going into the final in, in, in just the final just gone. And it kind of stings a bit that we weren't able to get that one over the line. So that is a bit of a disappointment. But ultimately, look, Liverpool taking us on an amazing journey. And the highlight for me um, would be the FA Cup, the last two FA Cup games, just because... Our end in both games, I was fortunate enough to be in a, a, a both games, was genuinely remarkable. Like a City game at half-time was like the biggest party you've ever had in your life. <laughs> um, it literally was just like, we were singing the Oak and Klopp song, we were all going crazy. And the let-off after Costa scores a penalty in the Chelsea game, it was like an out-of-body experience. And like I never thought I'd feel like that with the FA Cup. Like I grew up loving the FA Cup and you kind of fall out of love with it because it's not taken that, that seriously and stuff. But I, I went crazy. I lost my mind after Costa scored a penalty. So we've had some amazing moments this season. And I think the way the season ended, it didn't end on a note of we lost Champions League final. I think that's really, really important. And you, you spoke about that, John. It's important that we had, we had that parade because now we can look into next next season and say, okay, listen, we've had a bit, bit of a disappointment towards the back end of, of the season just gone. But we ended on a high. We've seen these lads off. We, we thank them for the season they've given us. And we go again next season. Okay, excellent stuff, Mike. I especially took, enjoyed it when you took the cowards on early. That was the real high point for me. <laughs> um, I'm very into taking the cowards on early, and we can all plan to do that for the start of next season as well. Uh, I'm very much the cowards amongst our own ranks. I've got no interest really now in the. Uh, you know, we've won the we've won the we've won the battle with BBC punditry. Uh, we've had them off. We didn't even have to send Dan Austin in for that one. Uh, that, one <laughs> that one's boxed. Um, all looked after the cowards in our end. Just on the togetherness point, Mike. You make it a couple of times in there as well. Uh, it seemed to me as though that's why the parade ended up being really important. I know a lot of people couldn't make it up for the parade, but it seemed like one last go. And why I think it'll be important for the players as well. You know, it seemed that they were a bit overwhelmed by it, but it was like, you know, this is what it's been all the way through. Uh, like I reckon Costas himself might be up for one every Tuesday if we can sort that out. But it feels to me like that's the important part, isn't it? The idea of, of, of telling them that story as well, the togetherness all the way through. Yeah, I think it's a defining defining kind of theme of our season. It's like, there have been times where we've had to lift the lads up, I feel. Like, after the Tottenham game, I remember the lads looked like they were just gutted. Um, They'd given everything. Obviously, we didn't win the game, and we knew how decisive that game was in terms of a title race. But I think a lot of people in the ground were just like, no, this is this is okay. Listen, it happens. You've been on an amazing run. We'll go again. And I think that togetherness is really, really important. I think Jurgen Klopp is someone who's really good at weaponising this statistical nature of football. The fact that we can go again. The fact that there's always next season. And that togetherness is really important for doing that. We come together. We, 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 we understand where the season was. We understand the effort you guys put in. 
we lift each other up. There are times when the players have had to lift us up as, and we they've had to give us a bit and we've had to give them back. So that relationship we have with, with this group is really, really important. And I think going into next season, the fact that we ended with that parade, the fact that we ended with thanking the players and, and some of them have literally come out and said it was one of the best days of their lives. That's after losing the biggest game in club football, by the way. So that tells you everything you need to know about togetherness at this club. And that tells you everything you need to know about what's going to happen next season because we're going to ride this wave of togetherness and it's, it's something that's going to define Jurgen Klopp's legacy at this club. Okay, John, you got anything for Mike? Just on the on the togetherness point, really, and I think it's it's crucial, and 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 I think Klopp deserves a lot of credit for it. But but it's 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 throughout the club, really. And listen later in in this um, show, uh, if you're listening as a podcast, you know Tony Barrett's going to come on, and you know the fact that it's it's a club employee coming on to talk to us. Um, I don't know whose idea it was. Um, it just it just sort of I just sort of found out it was happening. It's happening, but that, that doesn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? The point is that someone's someone's coming in talking to us, well, through us to the supporters thing. And Tony makes a point not to give too much away about the fact that because communication and togetherness and everything is so good, we're almost ready when stuff like this happens and stuff like what happens in Paris. And I think, you know, that is huge, really. And I've seen, you know, Tony gets a, a, gets a bit of flack in, in certain circles and, you know, maybe I get a bit prickly on it because I really like him. But, you know, people are saying, oh, what's he doing? What he's been doing is, this is building up to, to when something like this happens everyone's like right let's go and no one no we don't need to we don't need to worry about who do we need to speak to at the club yeah like because we've got the phone numbers and, and they don't need to worry about or oh, who do we who do we who gets the fan message out because 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 the, because the relationships are all sorts of there really and so i think there's a lot of people in in liverpool football club and outside who deserve a lot of credit for for this sort of togetherness really because togetherness come through comes through in two ways. It comes through when you when you're winning, and it comes through in celebrations like Sunday, but also when it really matters is in adversity. And, and we've had both of those things, you know, over this season. Really, we've had we've had highs, we've had wins, we've had trophies, we've had parades, but we've had Saturday night, which was which was you know disgusting in terms of how we were treated. And and I think that togetherness we're seeing a lot of now. We're seeing our CEO go on, on, on you know on. on I don't know what he's got. What was he going on? Our, our website, yeah. You know, he's going on every night and, and talking through and, and saying, and there was no ever, there was there was never a concern for me that the club wouldn't stand with us on this or would just ignore it or would just go, oh yeah, it looks a bit shit, but you want to like, you know, battle everything with your wafer. Like I always sort of knew the, that this would happen really and I knew the players would speak out like that they have and a new you know SOS are having a meeting on Saturday and, and it's a bit slow SOS have had a bit of stick as well but it's, it's just slower for unions like they can't act as quickly as as Dan Austin who just represents himself do you know what I mean and that's not going to go anyone away from Dan he's been brilliant but I think I think you know it's, it is it is a bit harder but they're having a meeting on Saturday they'll, 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 they'll They'll have a plan forward, and it'll be it'll be the right thing for for, for the members of the of the of, the, of Spirit of Shankly. And so I don't know. This is a bit long winded, Mike. I'm sorry, but but I guess what I'm saying is that like lots of things of lots of people and lots of organisations and lots of you know things have pulled together to mean that it's better when we win. We're more likely to win because we all feel like we're this force, but. But but when when something sort of does go wrong, that they, they were there, and so I feel like the way that Barcelona felt the full force of Liverpool Football Club two years ago, now UEFA are going to get it as well, just in a bit of a different way. Excellent, uh, Paul. You got anything for Mike? The, the only the only thing to ask a question actually, and you, this might be hijacking later on the show. I don't know, but uh, it's live, so it's not you can do about it. <laughs> Hijack away. <laughs> is is I think it's a great point about you going into the season and and the and the, the the feeling of fans in different parts. And it's even funny watching the comments coming through. And I steer clear of social media most of the time. And the past couple of weeks, I've just got back involved because everything was going on. And um, I'm just interested in hearing, hearing what Mike thinks going into next season now because it's funny seeing some people or even with how well we've just done there is some people who are still doing the going into next season ah we won't win anything because City have bought Haaland and you'll never we'll never beat them and I'm literally sitting watching comments coming coming through going well we beat them a couple of seasons ago to a league and we literally won the Champions League the year before that so so we're we're, I'm just interested in hearing where Mike thinks for next season yeah, the Haaland thing's interesting because people are already just thinking, listen, it's done. They've got Haaland. Even pundits are giving it a whole listen. They've got Haaland, it's done, guys. Forget about it. They're going to win a quadruple, that, that sort of chat. 
City scored 99 goals last season. Goals were not a problem for Manchester City last season. Let's be absolutely clear. Um, they got to the semi-final of the Champions League. They got to the semi-final of the FA Cup and they, they got 93 points in the league. They are already competing at an extraordinarily high level. But guess what? So are we. <laughs> and I think there are ways we can make marginal gains without even making signings. There are things we can improve in games. If you look at our big game record, we drew six of those games against Tottenham and Chelsea and City. Those are marginal games we can make. There are ways in which we can improve some players' performances over the course of the season. I think Mo needs rest. Mo's season was a season of two halves. I think one of the reasons Mo has a season of two halves is because he plays too much football. I would, I would personally like to see some backup for, for Mo Salah on the right-hand side so he has less pressure in terms of having to play every single minute. So there are ways in which we can improve and, and become a better side. I, I don't see how... I don't buy into this reality where City are going to run away with the league. They've got Haaland. They're going to win every single trophy because they're already competing at a high level. They, City will continue to be a high-level team as long as Pep Guardiola is at the helm. We have to be at peace with that. They've raised the bar. That's fine. But we can compete with them and we've shown that. And we're going to show that again next season. That is indeed the spirit. Uh, I've just done, by the way, one of our subscribers shows in their shoes where I go into City and I had to do City and talk about what City's summer could look like. I've actually got a bit more work to do than you'd think uh, in a really weird way. Gundogan's moving on, Fernandinho's moving on. Uh, they need to pick between Mahrez and Sterling realistically. Uh, they yeah. probably need a left-back plan. They always need a left-back plan. Zinchenko's knocking around there. There's talk that they might end up having to accept a deal for Ake. There's a lot of little bits to do, with, but also by buying Haaland and Alvarez, they're very much committed to playing a number nine every single game. They can't really not do that. It's not just Haaland, it's also Alvarez. They bought a backup striker as well for Haaland, who fancies himself as being able to grab the slot. It's just really interesting. Um, but they will still almost certainly break 90 points, make the semi-finals of the Champions League, and win one of the domestic cups, because guess what? They're brilliant. Uh, but so are we, and that is the spirit. John, your season review. Yeah, I was going to start with the BBC thing as well, but it's sort of slightly different angle in that I think, first of all, it's worth remembering, well, worth knowing, I guess, if 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 if, if you don't, like, just how like little thought can go into these things, and I say that from from um, from experience. <laughs> so normally, what happens is someone in our in our organisation, it's Neil, will send you an email saying, "I need you to predict the top four, and then. Two people will go back, and the rest of us will go, yeah, I need to do that, and then forget about it. And then basically five minutes before it's due, Neil will send me a message saying, I need the top four, and I'll go, shit, and then I'll type four names out. And I would imagine that's pretty much what's happened within the BBC as well. So we've got to caveat it with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also... Uh, like like they've not they've not had a big full day summit on it. Do you know what I mean? Like it'll be something like that. But also, what I would say is, I think I would when I when I see that come up and listen, it's fun to do the ah we've had them off type thing. And, and I did a bit of it last night uh, on wild cards, and so so it is fun. And I understand the temptation to go oh look you know look look what they know. But I think it's it's better to look at it a different way and more right to look at it a different way. And it just it just shows the gravitas of our achievement really that that. You know, it wasn't this foregone conclusion, and I think it, it puts into perspective when people say our oh, oh, Liverpool season is ultimately a disappointment. If it's those same people who, who they prediction, you can't have it both ways. You can't say Liverpool season is a disappointment when you were predicting us to come fourth and, and probably not get to a Champions League final on the basis that there's three English clubs at least that you think were better than us. And so, I think you know it's, it's one way or the other for me. It's a, it's a, the season sort of ultimately a disappointment because you only win two domestic cups and, and finish seventh, but second, sorry, breaking 90 points. Or you have to say that Liverpool have massively overachieved based on what people thought. And and I can sort of understand as well where, where these people who are a bit on the outside were coming from because I kind of felt at the start of the season you could throw a blanket over us, City and Chelsea. And in the end, that proved to be incorrect because Chelsea weren't quite at that level really. But, but you know, Tuchel talks about you know, us being further along on our journey, you know, and, and I think that's a reasonable point. I mean, managers always say that they just want more time, but I think I think it's I think it's a reasonable thing to say. But also Manchester United finished second last season. They finished above us in the league, albeit with everything going on. And then they bought Jaden Sancho, who everyone in Liverpool was desperate for. Uh, and then Varane looked a really good signing and probably was still quite a good signing. They I just forgot could, he was there. Yeah, yeah. But last summer when they got Varane, everyone was like, fucking hell, do you know what I mean? And this was before they'd even got Ronaldo, because Ronaldo comes in late and so you can sort of understand why there was a little bit of a hype around the United you know from a point of view of, of what you know 
they'd had a you know a be- much better season and then suddenly they got Jane Sancho in who was just this you know big superstar that had been coveted by everyone and and they they'd got him you know City will always be you know as you say you know Mike's Mike's just said it there they're gonna we know what they're gonna do next season already so they're there and Chelsea just won the European Cup and 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 so they're in I sort of understand where people are coming from really we had more question marks we didn't know what Virgil was going to be like there was people saying to me you know this sorts of things don't expect anything decent out of Virgil till December you know we, Liverpool might be getting him on the pitch but it's going to take a long long time Joe Gomez has had the big injury Joe, Joe Matip and then we signed this, this this French young lad and that and he was our only buy by the way um, you know there were still question marks over Thiago Manny had had a really poor season Firmino you know was starting to look sort of on, on his way out I think so there was a lot of question marks around Liverpool so I understand why it was maybe seen as a safer bet to say City City first, Chelsea second. I get that, but the re- that just shows. I think that that's the basis of uh, and the you know the idea behind me saying how how much we've overachieved this season. How we should look at you know how people were perceiving us last summer in, in the in the kind of viewpoints of but, but haven't we done amazingly? And also, what I would say is that this is why I feel better. or feel really good about next season is that I always felt we'd get stronger as the season went on. So my hope was, if Liverpool were going to win a title, we'd be in touching distance in January. And if we were, just watch us go. And I'm pretty sure... There's, there's podcasts of me saying that because everything that me and Neil says is recorded. And so, um, and, and so you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, there will be podcasts of me saying that. So I always felt we'd, we'd find it, not hard, but it was like, you know, we're going to be, it's going to be a while till we find our rhythm. It's going to be a while till, till, you know, everyone's backfiring. You know, the guys who've been on long-term injuries, it's going to sort of take a while, really. And then in the end, when it got to January, we were, what, 14 points or a bit with, with two games played less and you just thought we've just left ourselves with a little bit much to do here and that was sort of true but by the tiniest margins I think if the season was three or four games longer I think we will win the league because I think we were coming up stronger and the, the finishing post and you've seen it in a horse race or in a, or an athletics race or something where it's just they're just the, the, one's just catching the other one they're just catching them just catching them and then the, the, the finishing post just comes a little bit too soon for the one chasing and, and that's what I felt what happened in the league and I, as I say I always felt we finished stronger and so for me I'm really positive going into next season because I think the done so well based on where we were last summer in terms of uncertainty in terms of people who've been out for a long time in terms of the fact that we, we didn't have this you know this, this, this summer where you know loads of players were sort of coming in really it was a bit of a disjointed um so sort of pre-season as well for sort of a, a lot of players really I think Mo having the summer off you know was massive in terms of how he started that season but I think this summer you know is a really big one for Liverpool in terms of you know retaining uh, in terms of you know okay well if, if someone like Sadio Mane is to leave you know making sure we can replace him so we have got a big summer but I think if they can get it right and they prove that they can I think we can have a really really strong season next season I'm dead excited about a, a, a a pre-season for Diaz because he's basically just been told to go out and play football so far and so I think him doing the, the mad training where there's seven balls on the pitch and no one really knows what's going on but they do uh, and me and Neil are watching it in Singapore sweating our <laughs> sweating all going what's, what, and I'm asking you what's going on you're like no idea mate The seven balls on the pitch but they seem to know what they're doing you know a, a summer of that um, I think will be really really good for this team and just to finish, what what I really, really liked about this season is that it's the biggest season for me of whoever's been on the pitch, us looking like a Liverpool team. Yeah. And there's been two or three games where, you know, that hasn't been the case, uh, where, where we sort of play poorly. But generally speaking, it's been... We've used so many footballers this season. It, it is unbelievable. You know, you made the point a couple of weeks ago, Neil, that you know, Kay Gordon starts away at Arsenal in the, in the League Cup semi-final. You know, you've got Tyler Morton playing, you know, big Premier League games. So many players coming in and out, but we always look like Liverpool. And so I think, you know, a couple of big names might go this summer and, and one of them already is with Divokarigi. And that's going to be sad because we've got the emotional attachment, but it doesn't worry me because... We're like a machine at the moment and, you know, 
people come in and out, but the people who come in will understand it straight away because it's so it's run so well and it's going so well. So yeah, I, I know what exactly I need to do. They're not coming into a mess and trying to find themselves. And so it's a fantastic football club to come into. And that's that's I think that's why so many of our signings have hit the ground running. It's credit to them, of course, but they come in and go, yeah, I get it straight away. I know what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm really positive about next year based on how we, you know, second half of this season, about the fact that there's a few players who fell away. They're like, to Jota, who'll be who we right back at it um come August. And yeah, it's gonna be an exciting year next year, I think. And it's yeah, we're we're not falling away just yet. Okay. Um Mike, any questions for John? Yeah, I had a question because you touched on like uh, and it is a really good point about the idea that there was a lot of uncertainty going into the season. Is there anything that surprised you from a player point of view in terms of the players' performances, um, maybe a player recapturing form? Is there anything that surprised you from that point of view? I think if I focus on the centre-halves, I think the number of games we got out of Joel Matip is a huge credit to everyone, yeah. including him. And, and yeah, he, he ends the season sort of on the bench, but he was vital for us so many times this season. So I think I was expecting, you know, more of the defenders to have a season like Joe Gomez, where they go in and they sort of don't look quite right, really. You know, Joe Gomez has had a bit of criticism this season. He's more like what 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 should have happened. Do you know what I mean in terms of this long term injury? And and yeah, he hasn't had the the gift of so many games, which kind of adds to it, really. But I think I think go I think Matip has has been a really pleasant surprise. And then, and then also Canate, you know, how he's done in these big games. Yeah, yeah he's got the unmistaken in which we've seen. But I think for, for those two, I think for as, as a pair, and they almost come as a pair, really, don't they, in a funny sort of way, even though they haven't played that many games together. I think the level we've got from them too, as far exceeds, I think, what, what we kind of reasonably expected for this season in, in particular. You know, Canati's got a huge future, he's going to be a massive player for Liverpool. Joe Matip, we know, is class, but from what we've got out of them over the last 12 months, I think they're the biggest, you know, positive kind of surprises for me. Okay, Paul? The only thing that popped up as you were talking about going into the season again was a slightly different question on. Do you, probably two two questions in one. Do you do you think we should have done more in the transfer market last season? And secondly, do you do you think the club regret not doing any more? Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one, mate. Because I think you know I'm always willing to sort of take the club side on transfers a little bit more than say some others are, and I don't and I don't think that's necessarily. You know, I think that's just my personality rather than anything else. Like if someone does something, and I think you'll understand what I'm saying here, but if someone does something, I'll always try and understand, well, what are their reasons for doing it? Rather than just me saying, that's ridiculous, do you know what I mean? Just, just sign Mbappe. I was like, well, well, why aren't they? Do you know what I mean? It's like the Salah thing, the contract thing with Salah and Mane. You know, I'm always someone who will try and understand, well, why is this football club not doing this thing that maybe sort of seems obvious to everyone else? So, so with signings, I'll always think, you know, well, well, I get it. You know, you've got to keep people happy. You know, money's money's not limited. The problem with that is when they just sign someone like Diaz and his fucking boss, it sort of ruins that a bit. <laughs> like, you know I mean? like Bob Gunman's Bob Gunman's continual ten year arguments, and it's probably been going longer, but that's how long I've known him. Uh, Bob Gunman, I'm on eighteen. <laughs> Bob Gunman's continual ten year arguments of just buy another boss fast lad up front, buy more of them, and when you think you've got enough, buy another one. He's sort of improved, right? And and that's annoying. It's heartbreaking, <laughs> some would say. <laughs> and yeah. so I think I think, you know, the idea of just just fucking throw a boss lad in we'll, and we'll worry about what to do with it, you know, when he comes. Uh, apparently there is there, there's something in it, Paul. <laughs> there we are. There is there who knew there was yeah. something in it? Uh, excellent stuff from John. We'll get Paul's in the next part of this if you are watching this uh live. That is obviously coming sooner. Uh if you are watching it live though, do take the time to listen to it as a podcast as well, because coming up right now, uh two excellent chats with uh Tony Barrett, first and foremost, uh from the club, coming to talk about his personal response and the club's response so far as well to what happened last Saturday. And Ian Byrne, uh member of Parliament for West Derby. Uh, pleasure for Ian to come in yesterday as well. Spoke to them both yesterday. Obviously, there's been developments since then. We'll come back. I'll mention them briefly, and then we'll get back on with this show. So we'll hand over now first to Tony, then to Ian, 
and then we'll be back with the rest of Tour Live. I am joined by Tony Barrett to talk about the the club internally, the response to what happened on Saturday uh, at Saint-Denis at the Stade de France. Tony, first and foremost, the thing that's been clear from, from minute one is there's a t- determination within the club to to fight the corner of fans absolutely wholeheartedly. It's in every statement. It's in the videos done by Billy Hogan. It's in a letter from Tom Werner to the French government. This isn't going anywhere, is it, for the club? I think. I think the club is is looks to me like it's fighting this one until the the, the very very end. Yeah, I, th- I think from the the moment the first problems occurred, um, people at the club, senior people, people in more junior positions, um, were affected by it. Either affected by it directly, as in they were supporters on the night. Yeah. Um, I fell into that category. I was going to match my son. Um, they were working on the night, as as you see, we've had stewards there, and I think people need to realise that our stewards don't have jurisdiction at European away games. They're there to advise, um, and, and obviously you can see how much advice was taken. Um, and then you've got the people at the very top who are involved in um, some most important decisions that followed. I think the days afterwards, there's. I, I think everyone has seen that lens this season after the Champions League final. Um, it's gone the other way. Um, to be clear, it's a lot like to, to internally within Liverpool, and I can do this in the Anfield rap. Sixty-three games is a long season. It's a lot of work for everyone. Every every game needs its own administrative process before review, after all of that sort of stuff. So you're working towards an end date, and all of a sudden that end date has been completely removed. Yeah, and, and listen, this is this isn't a search for sympathy or a, no, no, or attempt to say that the people who work at Liverpool are, are more important than the fans because the opposite's true. They actually work for the fans. But in terms of your working rhythms the season's a funny one if you work in football in the sense that it, it does it's it's August until well it's now July until late May early June and, and that's the way it goes and it's if you've got kids it's very difficult to take holidays that's the reality again no complaints you work with a football club it's a, it's a great thing to do um, but yeah I think everyone was looking forward to the end of the season not necessarily downtime as such because there's now so much going on in football year on year but certainly that sense of the, the rhythm will change it will become uh, more focused on other areas more long term planning you don't have that day to day of game 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 uh, and then you go straight from that into what I would say is full on crisis mode it's full on crisis mode because because of things that are completely external to the football club but now the football club does have to you know, it is part of the ECA. It's part of UEFA, the process that goes on there. It's got to work with the FA. There's so many stakeholders. That work must be going at all level, going on at all levels of the club and must have almost been 24-7. Yeah, and yeah, you can imagine that the, the levels of the club that are... That are I, I would say that what you see on the pitch is a great, great Liverpool side. For me, it's, it's arguably the best I've seen. The trophies this season might not reflect that ultimately, but in terms of what they've done, what they've achieved, how they play the depth of squad, all those things, it's right up there. I'm adamant having seen when Liverpool doesn't work well from the other side as a journalist and as, as a supporter that for that team to be even a possibility, the club has to be well run. The club has to have good people at all levels who are uh, capable of affecting change and if capable of doing work in the best interest of Liverpool. I think we've increasingly got that and that's evident from the kind of stuff you've seen from Billy Hogan's video, obviously Tom Wayne's letter. They all speak for themselves but there's other levels, a lot of that and I think fundamental to that and we shouldn't lose sight of this, Neil and, and the Anfield Apps part of this as much as anyone. I think Liverpool Football Club now has a relationship with its supporters which means that at times like this we don't have to go looking for one another. Yeah. Uh, you, you, can, you can go through the organisation, Spirit Shankly speaks for itself. I work with them on a daily basis. Um, Amphia Rap, Red Men TV, um, Spine Cop 1906, LDSA, Liverpool Disabled Sports Association, all these different organisations. And by the way, sometimes you tell us, Liverpool Football Club, you're wrong. You have to be able to do that, and that's a necessary part of the club's function. You do that, but it also, that channel communication is always there, and it's always there to be used at the right time, the right way. And I think that's been, again, fundamental to what we've seen in the aftermath of this. I'm looking at the Anfield Apps output. I'm looking at Dan Austin's output. I'm looking at what Spirit Shankly is saying. I'm looking at what all these different organisations groups are saying. And I couldn't be more, I don't know, I couldn't admire any more than I do. When it comes down to it, you supporters. You go the match, you pay good money to go and see Liverpool play and all of a sudden you're thrust into what is a highly political, highly charged situation in which you're representing the interest of countless thousands of people who, many of whom have just been 
in my opinion, severely wrong for, for no other reason than they attended a badly organised football match. And I, I think that is, is crucial. And the more we can maintain that, the more we can... Uh, and, and there will be times when you have to speak truth onto us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, again, vital. The forms then, um, as we record this, 6,500, uh, in excess of 6,500 have filled the forms in to come back into the club. These forms are really important, aren't they? It's what the club can use to build the case to do the next phase. So many need to do it. If you, I haven't done it yet, I will. I'm going to sit down and have a bit of time maybe tonight. I'm going to do mine, but it's so important people sit down and get those forms done and in. The, the, there's two ways you could go about this. You could do what Monsieur Darmanin's done. Um, and you, look, you can look to establish a narrative. You can look for an instant reaction, and that instant reaction uh, can be uh, judgmental. It can be um, lacking in substance. It can be all the things that reaction something like this shouldn't be. Or it can be structured, and it can take into the views of people affected. And that's the, the last route is saying what we've done. And that is part of our cause for a, a truly transparent and independent um, investigation to what happened. It's no good shouting for the rooftops that X, Y and Z happened. We know what happened. But the more we can get, the more evidence we can get, the more we present, the stronger our case will be. We, we, we've made it clear from the outset what we felt happened. And now we're, we're establishing as much evidence as we can in support of our position. So I would encourage anyone. I, I filled mine in yesterday. Um, I've got to be honest that it made me feel emotional. Um, I won't go into my own experience here, but it was probably the worst one I've had. It was dating my son. Um, and I filled mine in as his dad as much as a supporter and much more than as an employee of the Pooh Football Club. Uh, I, was, I was with an 11-year-old who made better safety decisions on the night than the people who were in charge of safety. And that's terrifying. That is literally terrifying. I told him when we got back to the hotel how proud I was of him, and I'd, I'd say that again. But it reinforced to me why 11-year-olds happen to make safety decisions in football matches. And those safety decisions involve, do you stay in this queue, which is completely unsafe? Do I go to the side where the riot police are charging down? Do I try to return to the hotel uh, where local youths are running rampage on, on route back to the uh, station? Where do I go? Do I go near the tear gas? We were at a stadium where the only safe place was literally inside the stadium. Everything on the external was unsafe. I don't know how safety tickets are done. I've got no clue, but I'm not having that they say it's okay as long as it's all right in the ground. Before and after, I think this is an important point because there's a lot of fixation currently on the before and a lot of the justification, false justification, yeah. is the before. For me, the after, I was lucky before. After, I've never been as terrified coming out of a football ground in my life. No, I agree. The, the, only, the only time I felt similar fear, well, not, and certainly not at that level, was Rome away in 2001, and that was because it had been lively getting in and but not on this scale. Um, yeah, the fear, the fear was massive from the, from the minute that the, the riot police lined up in front of our end and you think, this isn't a good look. Uh, that was certainly intimidating. Um, you come and, and provocative. Uh, provocative, of course, provocative, and it's also optics. People know how that looks like and, and what that means, what that represents, and the reality is, for us, it represented nothing because it, was, it had no... Uh, it wasn't in any way caused by our behaviour. It was just they wanted to do it. Yeah. So you then come out, and and I had I had a slightly different experience coming out. I, my fear was consumed by own, my own sense of parental responsibility, and I didn't want to show fear. I'm sure inside I was scared, yeah. but on the route back, I wasn't going to the station, and I think that's been a bit of a crucial thing for me. I had friends, close friends, who were children who ran the gauntlet and going back to the station. And we have to remember, there's no tickets involved in this except your train ticket. There's no match tickets. There's no forged train tickets or whatever they want to throw at us for getting on the train. The, these dads end up having to lie on top of their kids as bricks showered through the windows of the train. These are young kids, 10, 11, 12. And this, the, the, this is where we can't just allow the authorities to focus on one single area that they think, and I think wrongly they think, suits their argument. Last little thing on that as well, there was disturbance at the fan park, and it's important people talk about that too, post-match, that there's, there's, there's images there of people getting tear gassed, which just beggars belief, and to me it tells, the, the, the post tells the story of any just of any nonsense they want to do about the former, and even if there were any number of fake tickets, it's still the responsibility of them to sort it out, but from 
their entire out- mindset was these are hooligans, these are animals, this is what we'll have to do. When the hooligans and the animals don't turn up, what they choose to do instead is think, well, we've come to the dance, so let's dance anyway. And you see that the, the fan park stuff is just un- un- unspeakable that it, where it comes from. Well, what I do is I'd contrast your master experience at the Stade de France with what you got at Anfield. We have stewards, we have police and normal policing gear, we have people who are in charge of master experience who are there to look after you. All these kind of roles on... Saturday night, all I saw was riot police. I didn't see anyone else. Actually, no, that's wrong. At one point, I did see a load of stewards uh, run up the ramp to get in the staff entrance just before kickoff. And I actually joked to someone, it looks like school's letting out because they all looked about 12. And that was my only sighting of stewards. Uh, but in terms of the fan park, I, I saw you there early in the day. I, I, I took some of the staff from the pool down there, which again, sort of illustrates where we are as a club, that the, the communion of... of club officials if you like and supporters and staff want to be part of the support and vice versa I, I won't name who's there but you, you'll know who's there um, and that was it, it was another one of those wonderful Liverpool occasions where people just had a party yeah. people just enjoyed themselves now I'm struggling I, I wasn't there I'm really struggling with the idea that these people in the fan park which was I think it was an hour on the metro away from, from the stadium that they were still there in sufficient numbers given there was apparently another 40,000 at the stadium. Who were these people? Because I'm, I'm doing basic maths in my head like Mr. Darman and clearly does. And I'm getting somewhere near 100, 150,000 by his estimates. There was nothing like that in Paris over those two days, not even close. Those people were there to enjoy themselves. They did enjoy themselves. Then upon departure, they're tear gassed. For what? And the, the, these the things, it's not just what happens in the three hours building up to kickoff, which was which could have been, could have led to tragedy. That's bad enough in itself. But it's all these other pieces around it which suggest that Lippo supporters were not safe, were not protected by the police, whether they're in a fan park, whether they're in a, making their way to a stadium, or whether they're going to the station afterwards. In all these areas, we were at risk. The club has pledged financial assistance for organisations uh, where there's already high demand uh, with expert mental health organisations, Tony. Uh, it's all on the website. It's very, very thorough. Genuinely, it couldn't be more thorough. Children and young people separated off from adults. Four or five options in both both ways are going. It's going to take a lot of time for the club. There's going to be a lot of stuff internal in the club. There's a lot of arguments to have. There's a lot of political wrangling to do. There's the idea to care for people as well. This is going to be Liverpool Football Club summer for a lot of for a lot of people at the club. This is this is what they're going to be working on. But it's also simultaneously, as you said before, it's also going to carry over onto. I know a lot of supporters who are feeling really, really fragile indeed. And all I can do is that if people are feeling fragile, talk talk to the people around you, but talk to the experts that are on that website there. Yeah, that fragility is huge, Neil. I've 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 felt it. I think I said to you on the way in before I did this. I've I've had those moments where I think you know what, I think I'm becoming emotional. Um, I had colleagues um, who I know are suffering right now I'll put it like that and the, the counselling that, that's been that you've outlined there it does apply to staff as well um, there, was, there was one member of staff who I, I gave a hug to at the airport because I saw what her night was I saw her close up she was the other side of I was going in through Turnstile White uh, through Gate Y and she was on the other side and, and she intervened on a couple of t- occasions one when a supporter had a fit after tear gas um, another when uh, a young French lad who he was bunking in vaulted over the, the, the high fence landed went to escape and, and a, an off, a plane's clothed police, policeman apprehended them in the most brutally physical way I think I've seen and this in full view of everyone and, and this staff member from Liverpool intervened and, and she was heroic put it that way I saw her at the airport the following morning gave her a big hug and that hug won't have done anything she will still be processing this in the same way that supporters who witnessed experienced and felt this mismanagement that put every single one of us at a risk that I don't think we've ever felt collectively um, there was there was 19,600 uh, in the Liverpool section there was, there was people who had tickets in other areas we know this from every final every single lip supporter in that ground in that vicinity will be affected by what happened um, and I think I think that importance of talking of listening of helping of being there for each other um, I think we, we've, we discovered after Hillsborough that um, that <laughs> we've, we've le- to say we've learned the hard way is probably the biggest understatement of all we've learned how to fight we've learned how to tackle injustice we've learned how to battle for the truth but we've also learned how to be there for one another 
and that 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 is something which is now much more important than than any time since 1989. I, th- I think the more we can do that, the better. Thanks, Tony. Joined by Ian Byrne, uh, MP for West Derby, off the back of his France 24 50-minute debate and discussion <laughs> on the matter, uh, which we're not going to keep you for 50 minutes, Ian. Um, around what went on at the Champions League final, Ian, first and foremost. I think the impact of it is is still sort of settling in with people, and I think that there's there is a general duty of care to come uh, across the next few weeks. And what I mean by that is that's for one another as much as it is anything else. It's going to be it's going to be a long sort of a long few weeks of people just coming to terms with it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, spot on, Neil. I think I think there's a lot of people who've just tuned themselves into like yourself and getting the message across in the narrative. Other people have come home, like me, our fella, uh, really struggling. Uh, spoke to him yesterday and the day before, and speak to him again later. Uh, other people have spoken to uh, were triggered in the tunnels, and I think there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of people who are going to be uh, need to be, uh, and I kept on them looked after, but not just that, also. Many of the younger generation, everyone that was there, they're going to have their own experiences, but they've got a process. So I think it'll be a case of keeping our eye on each other, like we always do, look after each other. And I think the club have made a very good start with the foundation and pulling the groups together in Liverpool and seeing what we can put together. But yeah, as always, we look after each other. We look after each other, but I think part of what people need to see now is a is a process begun, which first and foremost, I thought the speed with which UEFA made their move obviously before the games even kicked off in terms of bringing a redress in and that that's going to it's going to take political means and political weight obviously you know all the Merseyside MPs are very much are very much on board but you've got to go back to work on Monday morning and you've got to go and have those arguments down there and, and begin that process what's that going to entail for you? <laughs> Well, there's a number of avenues we can we can raise. Uh, I'll be speaking to colleagues over the weekends uh, and coming up with a plan of action. But I certainly think an urgent question uh, has got to be looked at Monday, Tuesday, so we can get the Foreign Secretary to the dispatch box and see what the government's view is on events and how we'll be treated uh, as football supporters. And then there'll be other elements of that. And for me, it's keeping the pressure on. It's keeping the pressure on the French Interior Minister, the Sports Minister, the Macron, uh, to do what they should do which is actually investigate the thing instead of lies and smears uh, onto the Liverpool fans which should do no one any good because the events that they've got coming up over the next two years you cannot let any sport and any person attending a sporting event go through what we did on Saturday and they're not doing uh, their country a service if they're just deflecting and trying to protect their own backsides and that's what I'll be emphasising uh, over the weekend When you're I mentioned you being on on France 24 there before. I think something we, we we do need to just sort of quite consistently bear in mind here is that, firstly, it is a political situation, this in France, and secondly, this isn't a conversation about either the UK versus France or Liverpool supporters versus France. It does seem from the outside looking in, and you'll be better briefed than me, there's a great deal of support for the Liverpool position, scepticism of the French government position in France, and speaking to and with that is going to become an important part of this as well. No, absolutely. And on the debate yesterday, it's hard to bring Brexit into it and Macron's relationship with Boris Johnson, which has got absolutely nothing to do with what happened to us on Saturday night. Uh, it was just a shambolic of policing operation and horrendous conditions created at the stadium by the police. So we can't let that dilute where we need to get to, which is the truth of the matter. So for me, it will be focusing entirely on that, Neil. That's where the road that we've got to go down. I'm also extremely concerned, if I'm honest, about the UEFA processes which started and the person in charge who was put in charge straight away. You know, we've got a wealth of experience uh, from our experiences over the last 33 years. We've got eminent QCs, we've got people who are in, uh, academics. So we need to ensure that the people involved in that process are people that we trust the supporters and as a city. As part of that trust, they're saying that they're going to do an independent inquiry, uh, UEFA, into this. Still so far, in terms of getting questions answered, the parameters of that inquiry aren't crystal clear. There's there's a before the game, and there's a long time before the game, arguably, but there's a before the game on the day, and then there's, there's then an after, 
a post-match thing where I, I've said repeatedly I came out as the most terrified I've ever been walking out to a football ground in my life. There's also what went on in the fan park and all of this to me looks like it's the same thing. The parameters of what that inquiry is, before we even get on to how independent it is, the parameters of what that inquiry is is, a, is an urgent question that needs answering. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And so many people had so many experiences, didn't they? But, you know, for us, I didn't get into the fan park because... Again, I thought it was over-pleased. It was, uh, you know, you were kept out with barriers. We couldn't get near it. Uh, and we were there half an hour before, so we gave up and uh, found somewhere else. And much of the disappointment to my two sons who loved it in Madrid. But you're absolutely spot on. There were so many experiences uh, that need to be looked at by UEFA. And as I said, for me, it's getting to the crux of what happened, how it was allowed to happen, and it can never happen again. The... What we're able to do now, which, and this is no not disparaging, uh, our, our, our colleagues in Radio Merseyside, what we're able to do with the Anfield Rap is that there's people all over the country and all over the world who are able to listen to this, many of whom will also have been at the game. It's worth pointing that out. You know, Liverpool support does not strictly live uh, in the Merseyside That's area, far from it. It feels to me as though what, what people can do at this point is speak to their elected representatives all over the country and possibly even all over the world in order to, to put some pressure on to say that it's important that the answers for this come out, especially now, especially really, really close to the event itself. That's a really good point, and I think that's that's something which everybody should do, everybody, as you said, across the world, because we can't be sectarian about this. And I'll say it again, you've got the Rugby World Cup in 2023, you've got the Olympics where people from across the globe are going to be travelling to Paris. They cannot go into the conditions that we went into, the mindset of the police, the whole shambolic operation. So I think it's hugely important on a global scale that we recognise that this isn't a Liverpool thing. We experienced it on Saturday. We've seen some comments from you know, football fans from different clubs, which has been disappointing to say the least, because it could have been them. But let's look at this as a whole picture, and that's where you can build the pressure up here. You know, representatives from across the globe can look at what happened in Paris. It's absolutely shame, France. Uh, the people responsible should be held to account. Then we find the truth, we find the answers, and we ensure that it's never replicated again. Because I never want to see a child from any corner of this globe tear gassed and pepper sprayed we never want to see replications of them scenes so for me it's about putting pressure on the elected representatives across the globe certainly in this country as well to put pressure on the authorities in france to ensure that it never never happens again you mentioned before just last thing the club's response it seems that there's a major aspect of this so far has been there is a genuine sort of sense of the immediate response from the from the british media uh who were present with one uh, glare and exception uh, who were present at the event appears to have emphatically backed up what the reality was on the ground for everyone um, the city as a whole, the club's response the supporter base's response the togetherness I think is really really important socialist groups in France uh, the Parisian mayor of the, mm. of the, of the 12th arrondissement. I hope I said that right uh, all of that um, to me you know it's the togetherness that'll get this one done. It's also the togetherness that'll get everyone through. Yeah, I think you've, you've summed up really well there. I think there's a there's a unity amongst people who've seen a wrong done and they want to make sure that the next steps are done right for the people that were involved in it. And it has been heartwarming to see the support, you know, when I've been speaking to journalists and other politicians across the channel, you know, overwhelmingly, you know, they're ashamed by what happened and they want the truth to come out. So for me, that's sort of solidarity. We, we uh, build on that. And you know what we need to do as well? Once we get the truth and we get the apology that we deserve as football supporters, we then need to go after the UEFA as well, because this cannot stop here. Because there's lots and lots of people who are accountable for what happened on Saturday night. And we have to make sure collectively, and this is an opportunity for football as a whole and sport, to ensure that no sporting fan, never mind football fan, are treated like animals like we were on Saturday night. Thank you very much to Ian. We'll get back with the show. There you go, Andy. Stop moaning about the size of the gap I give you. We're back on to all live. It's Neil Atkinson <laughs> with Mike Bangall and with Paul Coban with John Gibbons. Uh, there has been... Ah, yeah, and... Two seconds. Still too short. Uh, that, that, was, that was long for me. Some of them have literally been a breath. Yeah, uh, three seconds indeed. Uh, 29, 29.05 uh, for those who are watching, uh, taking notes on this sort of thing. Um, 
listen, there's a lot that's gone on and there's other Anfield rap shows and other lives that we've done around it. Today, the Chief of Staff for the Sports Minister has resigned. Uh, he's only been in post a week, barely had time to work out where the photocopier is, uh, but he's decided, he's had a look around and decided this is not for him in France. <laughs> uh, you know, only just got his email address sorted out and everything. Maybe it was the first email he sent after Sean and IT boxed it for him. He's decided this is not for him and decided to go and get on with something else for a period of time. That is suggestive indeed of something that is not right at the heart of this French government around this affair. Further to that, Real Madrid have made a statement today which makes clear that their supporters uh, were brought up in it as well and they're demanding answers from UEFA and from the French authorities. As we speak right now, Dan Austin is in Paris uh, doing various bits of media, including 90 minutes in a second language uh, with a presentation with a journalist at Le Monde, which will be available in terms of social clips over the, so- over the weekend uh, and will be subtitled into English as and when that comes through. Uh, but just to say, you know, the idea of doing a 90-minute presentation in a second language is just remarkable and uh, Dan deserves all the credit in the world for the way in which he's gone to take the arguments over there, albeit the fact that the thing to remember is that the arguments over there uh, is where, on the whole, uh, people are of the view that, we're, that we are all of, uh, that what happened last Saturday was distinctly unfair to football supporters in general now, whether they're from Liverpool or from Madrid or even in the neutral section, uh, that the issue is one of policing. The French are very much on board with what we're saying and that is worth bearing in mind as we go through all of this. There will be more to come uh, in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different media uh, and we won't be leaving it alone. John mentioned the Spirit of Shankly meeting on Saturday. Get yourself along if you're a member and feel as though you can, you can help and contribute to that. The other thing that we're just going to do tonight, uh, we're doing shows today because it is the Anfield wrap uh, and we take any opportunity to do more shows uh, we grab it with both hands and see what happens next so me and John are in now right the way through until is it 6 o'clock John are we until yeah. 6 um, so show an hour until 6 and then we're going to be looking to go for a drink we're going to go to Pogues um, if anyone anyone at all but if anyone was caught up in what happened last week and just wants to sort of turn up and have a bit of a chat um, about anything really you know what I mean Doesn't we don't have to talk about this we can talk about whatever you want but we'll be in Pogues after 6 o'clock tonight let's say half 6 because I've got to turn the computer off and send the files to Andy and you know just, just tidy the place up a bit and all the all the obvious hits get up to Pogues uh, yeah. I, I don't know I reckon it might be abrupt that last show you know Neil now you're dangling the Pogues can it? I know I know 14 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that went all the way through if people are looking for some you know some like-minded stuff will be up there that is not the same as it's substituting what's been put on Liverpool's website around genuine resource around mental health um, for children especially on there as well but also for adults do check that out on Liverpool's website the club and the foundation are working uh, in order to support mental health charities as well around that time uh, what we're saying is we'll just be around it about this evening in Liverpool City Centre if anyone does want to come along um, and go from there to be quite honest with you Okay, uh, coming up then, next season review uh, from the one and only Mr. Paul Cope. Oh, well, I was I was saying to the lads before, and I love doing these reviews every year, and I love going last, because I get to listen to what they say, and, it, and I don't have to worry about remembering stuff then. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what happened. Because as you know, anyone who's listened to this long enough, I don't remember, past about two games ago. Um, but I was having a little look before, and so just something to add, because I, I agree with everything the lads have been saying. And, and something to add, which I, I think I probably end up saying every year at this time, football seasons are really interesting things because they simultaneously seem to go like in the blink of an eye. And when you look back, lasted in eternity. And and this is the stuff when you look back at things like predictions and stuff like that. As you were talking, the, the number of things that were popping up in my mind of like the United one's a brilliant one. Like every, it's like everybody has their mind wiped like Men in Black style at the end of a season about what was going on a year ago. Like even if you listen to Gary Neville, for example, on Sky, it, you'd, you'd think he wasn't sitting there a year ago absolutely creaming himself that they just finished second, they were runners-up in a European competition and they bought Sancho, Varane and Ronaldo. Like even Antonio Conte a few weeks ago was referencing it saying it's not that easy you know lads like and he actually referenced that point they finished second and bought if you'd have gone back to any football fan back then any pundit and said will united be better or worse by the end of this season having signed those three players every single one of us would have said they'd be better and then you fast forward six months and they're the worst man united team you have seen in your lifetime <laughs> and, and we're old enough are all of us old enough? I don't know. I, I'm definitely old enough. I, I mean, Mike's disturbingly young, I, but we still fight black. You know, I, didn't, I didn't want to bring you in with us old guys then, Mike. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but like we've watched Man United teams with Mark Robbins in. 
and and we're literally sitting here going, this is the worst one, you know, like th- this is worse than Mark Robbins, Man United team. That's crazy. So people forget this stuff really easily. And I think something else, I think the whole COVID and lockdown thing does tie into this because we've all been in this weird time vortex for a couple of years now. And no, I never know how long ago things were anymore. Like I, I, I've started doing this thing in my head that as soon as I think how long ago something was, I add two years to it. So I, if so, I think yeah. something was six months ago, I go, it must be two years and six months because it must have been six months before we all stayed inside our houses for two years because I, I, like, I literally wasn't allowed to go and see my cousin in France for two years. So it must have been before then when it's something like that. When you go back to the beginning of the season, it was off the back of, and I even have to check this in my own mind, the season before. And the season before was a shit show. We had no centre-backs. We lost six home games in the run. We had people like Gary Neville again, to reference him again, saying it's the end of Liverpool's front three. Oh, no, it wasn't actually Neville, in fairness. It was Carragher. He called us mentality midgets. It's the end of Liverpool's front three. At that point, he, he was even swerving the whole centre-back debate and got, getting going two-footed on the, the, the three old fellas. He, like, they've gone, referencing all old front threes that have gone before. These have, Those lads have gone. Liverpool have gone. It's all over. And I remember even Klopp was saying, we've learnt more from this season than we've learnt from any other season. We'll be back. And again, referencing Mike's thing about Joe going into it with a, a different attitude, depending on what your mentality is. I remember thinking... You can't tell me that you had Virgil van Dijk, a fit Thiago, and Joel Matter into this team, and we're not better again. Like, what? Why do we not go back to the way we were before? And I, and I remember the start, start of the season, and again, this is easy for people to forget. We were talking on shows about it was taking us time to get back into being Liverpool, like to remember what it was like to play football with Virgil van Dijk as your centre-back because we'd had to adapt to end the season before, which was magnificent anyway, to get into the top four. But it was like everybody had to remember again what it was like to be the phenomenal Liverpool. And that took us half a season. That's just the way it was. It took us half a season. For us to have done what we've done since then is off the charts. And it it is for me like... This football season is a great test if you're a Liverpool fan for just testing what what your attitude to life is generally. Because if you're finishing the season going, we only won two poxy cups, I'm sorry. Like, genuinely, I've said this before, you need to go on out and make friends with fans of other football clubs. And I don't even just mean, like, you know, Arsenal, but you can, I'll include Arsenal in this. Spurs, I mean Sheffield United, Wigan, Preston, any of these clubs... Go and chat to their mates and tell them that you think your season has been poor because you only won two poxy cups, finished one point behind Man City in the league and finished runners-up in the Champions League and they will chase you out of town with poxy cups. Like, <laughs> quite rightly. Quite rightly. Like, we, we are spoiled and I will bang on about this forever. We are spoiled and we need to keep coming back and checking in with how privileged we are to watch a football team like this. At the same time, it's okay to be disappointed that we that we I would my big thing is I think it's okay to be disappointed with the Champions League thing because we should have won that where we got to as Mike was saying we were the better team we should have won if we'd have turned up on the day for, for me anything in life if if you turn up and you're your best and someone else is better than you hands up fair play but when you leave and you can see it in Salah's comments this week I wish I could play that game again and you're like yeah that that doesn't sit comfortably I want I'm going to jump around a bit. To go back to the league for a second before finishing on the Champions League ending, my big thing about the league was, if you'd have said to all of us at the start of the season, you're going to finish this league season on 92 points. I just checked before. We got 69 last year. That's a 23-point jump. That's crazy. If, if you'd have said to us, well, you're going to get 92 points, would you take it? Everyone would have bitten your hands off. All the pundits would not have said we'd have got 92 points. At the same time, if you'd have said to me, you're going to get 92 points, I'd have said, that's going to be a really nice second place finish then. And I wouldn't have thought we'd have been as close to City as we ended up being. Because we all know, and this comes to the last point I want to make about next season, we all know what it takes to beat Man City to the league because we did it a couple of seasons ago. And to beat this Man City to the league, we I've been wrapped up in this as well, the whole, if this Liverpool team had existed in any other time in history, we'd won multiple leagues. Well, I've settled into the fact now, we don't. We exist now. And our rival is Manchester City. 
And if we want to win the league, we have to be aiming for 100 points. And you can fall short by one point, maybe. But um, but, the, but the reality is, 92 points. We just said going into the season that we it won't be enough to win the league. Like, it just won't be enough. The big thing about that is, and about finishing runners-up in the Champions League, you can already see again... I keep thinking about this. Is, I think we're in a mini cycle. Football goes in large cycles, which it's interesting seeing Manchester United's manager is all, already hanging his hat on. Like when he's asked about what he'll do, he's sort of already going, if I hang around long enough, their cycle will end. <laughs> like, I just need to hang on long enough for Pep to leave, Klopp to get off. And if I can do a good enough job in the meantime, we'll be well placed to come through after that. That's the big football cycle. I think we've got a mini football cycle going on with City and we're in the exact same loop that we were in before we won the league last time. The only difference is we didn't do the business in the Champions League final this time. So I think what, what we're going to find is the same that happened when we last finished runners-up to them and our players all looked at each other in the summer and went, well, we know what we have to do, don't we? And Neil's referenced this on a couple of other shows. Because of the way the, se the season is structured next year, I think you're going to get Liverpool players looking at each other in the summer and saying to Jurgen Klopp and the staff, our aim is to win every game. It's to win every game before Christmas. We need to crush Man City's souls. We want we want Haaland to be looking at his teammates going, what, we're not allowed to draw any games? And they're like, no, none. Because these bastards will never, ever leave you alone. Like, even when you think they're knackered and they're finished, they won't. They will keep going. And I remember vividly that season when we beat them in the league, you could almost feel it from Guardiola and City. We just can't be arsed with this. We just can't be arsed. They, what John was saying before is another perfect example of the, the mini cycle that happened last time. They won the league the year before by scrambling over the line, knackered. And even after the finish line, our players were all stood next to them saying, come on, we'll go again now. Salah's already doing it. We'll go again now. And their players are probably thinking, oh God, I can't be doing with this again. Like there will be lads happy to get off. I didn't realise Gundogan's going. Doesn't surprise me at all. Wouldn't surprise me if Bernardo Silva was like, I've, I've been here before. I need to get He off. wants to go. I want to go. He wants to go, but I, th I think they're going to try and assist, but he wants to go, yeah. Doesn't surprise me at all. Because I can imagine him looking at the others saying, it's too much. These are too much. And it's exhausting this and no one gives a fuck. No one gives a fuck, exactly. No one cares what we're winning. <laughs> like, that's not fair. You're we're killing ourselves and no one gives a fuck. And we go out and buy, like as you've referenced before, Joe, we literally go out and buy a, a lad that can run dead fast and never gives up, never stop. And they're like, oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in this one bit. So I think overall, like, couldn't have been happier with the season going into it. I actually think of the whole, the quadruple, I think a lot of us think quadruple is like a once in a lifetime thing. I think with these, with Klopp and Guardiola, we've just changed the bar again. I think Guardiola's going now. Oh, we need to win the quadruple, don't we? And now we know we can do it. Now we know we can play every game. We go into this season with a squad knowing it's capable of getting to all of the finals. I think that's the new bar. Okay. Uh, John, any questions for Paul? No, no, it was spot on. Um, I think, you know, just, no, nothing to add. Um, I was talking for the sake of it there. That was great. Uh, excellent stuff. <laughs> uh, Mike, anything? Well, I was going to ask Paul for his highlight of the season because I, there are so many when you think about beating United 5-0, beating Everton 4-1, but what's your highlight, Paul? I mean, it's, that's the other thing, isn't it? You people forget how big those things are. And when we, we beat yeah. Man United at Old Trafford 5-0, and everyone's forgotten that now. You're like, don't forget that. Please, never ever forget that. Like, and don't let them forget it either. And don't let everyone forget that we beat them four one. <laughs> and at the same time, again, how privileged we are and how spoiled we are. Like, highlight. You can't beat winning cups. It's as simple as that. You can't beat winning cups, and it's fantastic. Even that, like, the people who were bemoaning, you know, little bits of luck going against you in in the other moments, the the City game against Villa, the Madrid final. It's it's easy again to forget we won two penalty shootouts to win the other two cups and one of them our goalie scored our sub goalie scored. like we, we got in the Champions League by our goalie scoring a header which is crazy and we won a cup by our sub goalie scoring a pen that's insane and then I, and I, I think maybe this is very hard, harsh on Keller but I just think because of who Costas is and the way he is his winning pen just, just edges that for my highlight of the season. Yeah, 
Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much indeed for listening to this and to everything that we've done all week. Do download the app. Loads more of these season reviews knocking around as well. Transfer stuff, transfer committee stuff. In your shoes games, all the stuff we enjoy doing over the course of the summer that is available for you. Uh, download the app for that. You can use the free tokens or alternatively, you can just subscribe through to the Anfield wrap. Thank you very much to Tony and Ian for coming in uh, yesterday and having a conversation with us and for this show as well. Produced by Andy Heaton with John Gibbons with Mike Bankhole and with Paul Cope. If there's one thing to take from all of these reviews is that at least these three are ready to gird the loins and absolutely go for it all over again but it's not just these three it's Liverpool's entire squad it's Liverpool's backroom staff it's everyone connected to Liverpool Football Club there's a league to be won you know and that seems a mad thing to say in June but we are where we are